pastor for the invitation to be here today. I am thrilled to represent the Baptist History Preservation Society and to tell you all I know. So it's good. How many of you have ever heard uh, Alexander Scorby read scripture? You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, he's the most well-known, the first to ever record the Bible so that people could listen. And uh, he spent all day, uh, one particular day, recording. And his wife told him, as they were sitting at the table that night, you know, some of those words uh, you, you read, you pronounced wrong. And um, they're just not right. He says, they are now. <laughs> and so uh, that's the way everybody has come to know them. And so, preacher, you can tell all the dates you want, right or wrong, <laughs> all the places. It, that's just the way people will learn them. So uh, it, it's good. Uh, I am, am privileged to pastor the Harvest Baptist Church in Rockwell, North Carolina. I'm going on 32 years there. Don't know what the Lord has left, but I want to be faithful. I can remember as, as a boy, and of course, uh, some of you younger ones, you're wondering what it is the Lord's going to have you to do. Well, he doesn't always tell you at one time. But um, when I was just um, a boy, uh, I loved singing. And some of you probably watched the gospel singing Jubilee on Sunday mornings. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are too young to know anything about it. But uh, that's all I ever wanted to do was just sing. And at six years old, I could literally sing bass in the church choir. And so uh, I could have been the bass for the church choir. And my mom and dad debated on uh, what my voice would do when it came time for it to change. And my dad thought I would be a tenor. My mom won uh, the argument, but uh, I prepared for that. And when I graduated high school, 17 years old, I found the voice teacher who could train me. And so I drove to Canton, Georgia every Monday, 275 miles one way. I took a one hour voice lesson from a man named Leroy Abernathy. Some of you probably know that name. And I turned around and drove home. Did that for five and a half years. And it's just like the Lord, what I thought I wanted to do when I got finished uh, singing, uh, training, he said, I want you to preach. <laughs> and so uh, that's, that's what I did. Still enjoy the singing, but glad to be doing what I'm doing. And at the church there, uh, ministry is the Baptist History Preservation Society. And uh, that was started some years ago after I began to read about Baptist history. Some of the things I read about were near me there in North Carolina. I had no idea. So I determined to go see them. And I was moved by what I saw. The first place I visited was the Sandy Creek Baptist Church in Liberty, North Carolina. And we will tell you some more about that today. And I'm sure you've already heard some from your pastor. But I was so moved that I thought others would be moved by knowing this information as well. And so... The following year, we began to do our tours, Baptist history tours. And that was 1998. 
we did a two-day tour and took men to see sites associated with their heritage. Uh, we got aboard a bus, two buses, uh, that first trip, and it was good, good fellowship. We had good preaching, and then we saw the Baptist history sites, and men were touched. As I began to look for more sites, and it was not enough for me just to read about them, I always had to go see them. And of course, when I began to uh, read about things in other countries, it began to get expensive. But still, I wanted to see them. I wanted to go into the libraries and the archives of the Baptist to learn all that I could. And I did find that we had a great heritage, a scriptural heritage. Now, not everything that every Baptist has ever done has been scriptural. But who Baptists are and what we believe is scriptural. And so I'm grateful for that kind of heritage. And learning about it, I believe, would help all Baptists. And so I trust that the things we'll talk about this morning, today, will be an encouragement to you. And perhaps it will bring somewhat of an appetite to you to learn more about your heritage. Uh, the tours continue uh, to this day. Now, we've had all kinds of uh, interesting things to take place on the tours. If you've had Brother Dalton here, you know that's interesting enough when he's along. But, but we do have, we have fun. We really do. We hear the Word of God. We see the Baptist history sites. Uh, and we eat well, but we have fun. And those tours, as I began to put them together, I realized at some of the sites they were neglected, graveyards grown over, places where well-known Baptists had been buried were improperly marked or their grave stones were broken. And so uh, I believed that the Lord would be pleased with us repairing those things, much in the way that Nehemiah did. And I believe that the Lord would be pleased with us remembering those things, much as you'd find in God's Word, Joshua chapter 4. If you'll turn with me there. You Bible students, I know, are familiar with this passage of Scripture and the memorials that were set as the children of Israel are going over Jordan into the promised land, God makes uh, another way just as the children of Israel passed over the Red Sea to uh, leave Egypt. Now they're crossing another body of water to uh, get into the promised land. God makes a way for that. And God wanted them to memorialize what was taking place. And Verse 5, Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. 
And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest, which bear the ark of the covenant, stood, and they are there unto this day. And we read again, <clears throat> beginning with verse 18, the same chapter. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up into the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned into their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's good to be in this place today. Lord, would you use the stories of our heritage to uh, encourage the saints, to help them to be faithful, to remain true to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In Joshua chapter 4, you see the two reasons that God gave for placing memorials. The first, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So the event itself was to be remembered. And when those stones that were set for a memorial caused the children of these people, or the grandchildren, or their great-great-grandchildren, to many generations, when they'd say, what mean you by these stones? It was a sign to remember what God did in that place. This marks the spot where the children of Israel passed over Jordan. And that would be encouraging, because everyone who inquired about those stones and heard the story from their fathers, would know that a miracle had taken place. Amen. There's no way they could have marched over except that God dried up the river to allow them to do so. So the first reason for placing a memorial given in Scripture is to remember the event. The second reason, and the most important reason, you find at the end of the chapter. Amen. And again... Uh, verse 22, then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. There's the event. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you. There's the one who made it possible. And the reason 
The second reason for placing memorials, verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Amen. Memorials are to cause people to remember a specific event, but more importantly, it's to cause them to think of God. And in a way, that's what this meeting house is. It's a memorial of sorts. It tells everyone who passes by that this is a place where God has done something. And for those who care to inquire, they can learn that it is a place where God is still working. And that's the idea. God has done something we must not forget. And God is alive and God is still mighty and he is still able. We must not forget either. And so that's what we want our children and our grandchildren to know. And we use events, things that God has done to call their attention to those things. Now, noticing that there was uh, the poor condition of meeting houses and cemeteries and grave markers for some of the well-known Baptists in the past, and noticing that other places where great things had happened and where great people labored were entirely unmarked. The Baptist History Preservation Society was moved to begin to mark those things, to remember events and to remember people and to call attention to the fact that the God who worked in their lives can still work today. And I know that you have been told by your pastor after some of the trips that we have placed memorials. And we started doing that. The first we placed in 1999. And to date, there have been 24 memorials that have been set around the country. And when we talk about memorials, uh, they're, very, they're very large monuments. And usually they'll stand eight feet tall, four feet wide, eight inches thick of granite. Uh, there will be writing on the front and the reverse that gives a descriptive account of what God did and of whom he used. And we want people to remember. And the monuments have had that effect, and we pray that they will. Uh, some years back, we placed a monument in New York City, in Brooklyn, for the old Baptist preacher, Robert Lowry. You say, well, Brother Jeff, who is that? Well, you may not have read anything about him. You might not know him and what God used him to do, except you do sing his songs on a regular basis. Where he was a songwriter and his most well-known, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And of course, he writing that song was writing in favor of being regenerated by the blood of Christ and against the notion, the unscriptural notion, of being regenerated by water. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so the 6th Avenue Baptist Church that is there at the corner of 6th and Lincoln in Brooklyn, we placed a monument to remember Robert Lowry, the man who founded that church. And right in front of the meeting house, that monument was placed. Thousands of people walking by there, thousands of people every week. The pastor said we'd see them go by and we wondered how we could reach them. He said, I began to notice 
that now people would stop in front of the meeting house and they would read the wording on that monument. And they would learn something that happened there. Maybe some of them having heard the songs that this Baptist preacher had penned. Maybe not knowing that he had ever labored there. And then something else happened. You see, the idea is to remember the person, but it's to call attention to God. Something else happened. The people began to knock on the church door and say, we'd, we'd like to know a little bit more. This has piqued our curiosity, but what's this all about? And they began to witness to them and talk to them. And that's the idea behind the memorials is to get people interested in God, to get them to remember him and to inquire after him. And so we have enjoyed over the years placing uh, these monuments. And we have had some interesting things to take place uh, as we have done so. I'll tell you about a few of them. Uh, the first monument that we placed for a Baptist preacher was actually two of them at the same time. It took place in Frankfort, Kentucky. And there in the same cemetery, the DAR, Daughters of the American Revolution plot, uh, you can see uh, the graves of William Hickman, who was the first Baptist ever to preach on the soil in Kentucky, and John Gano, who was one of the most famous Baptists in American history. And they are both buried there. Their, their stones were completely crumbling. You could not read the wording. We finally were given permission to place new monuments there. And we did. The idea was that we we're going to unveil them on, on the Baptist History Tour that year, which was in Tennessee and Kentucky. And we had just visited the first site in Tennessee that we were going to see, the site, the original site of the Buffalo Ridge Baptist Church, which is the oldest Baptist church in that state. And as we got back aboard bus and we pulled out from where we were, bus runs off the road. And uh, you know how it is in the mountains sometimes. There are no shoulders in some places. And there was not there. So it dropped all the way down to the axle on one side. And then the bus began to ever so slightly do this. And it, it leaned and it leaned and it leaned until there was more weight on this side than on that side. And it, and it turned over. Uh, and 17 men were taken to the hospital. It was, uh, it was very interesting. A uh, man sitting on his front porch there was watching the bus turn over. Uh, all the glass remained intact except the one in front. And it just popped out. Never broke, just popped out. And the man came running over there and he bent down and he looked at me and he said, do you, do you want me to call 911? said, well, that'd be a good idea if you, if you, if you would. And um, several days later, we're in Kentucky. And we're bandaged up. Oh, some men are in slings. Some are on crutches. And uh, we, we literally have to get help get into the place where we're going to unveil these monuments. And there's a large crowd waiting. You can imagine their surprise when they, they see all of us and see what we look like and uh, you know, we're bruised and, and broken and in pain, but it was a wonderful time as we unveiled these monuments to commemorate uh, these men. Uh, William Hickman, uh, the great Baptist preacher there, still 
uh, is considered to have baptized more people in Kentucky than any other Baptist preacher. And the description of him is placed on his monument, talking about his preaching. And it says, when he preached normally, his voice sounded like thunder in the distance. But when he was at his best, it sounded like thunder at home. And maybe you remember someone preaching in just that way. Perhaps Brother Browning waxes eloquent in such a manner on occasion. But um, those are things that mean something. People who read that, especially young men who are preachers, they want to desire to have that kind of effect in the ministry. Not just being a loud mouth, but baptizing converts, seeing people saved. And that has happened uh, to many in various places, and we want to call attention to that. And that causes young people. Not to say, Lord, we want you to copy what you did, but God, we know you're well able to work in our lives today in a similar manner. And God, if you will just use the word that's preached and we can see souls saved, uh, we would appreciate it. And uh, it's good to know that there are people who had faith in God. There's the grave also in that same cemetery of John Gano. And John Gano was the well-known Baptist chaplain during the War for American Independence. He was a friend of George Washington. Uh, Washington sought baptism, believers' baptism, by immersion from the hands of his chaplain, John Gano, during that war. And when the war was over, uh, George Washington, his first order, now, people are so confused nowadays, and this is the reason why history is important, so that we know these things. This is the reason why we place the monument, so that people who are just passing by can even learn something. But they want to tell us today that our founding fathers were deists. That's a lie, by the way. They were not. Now, they want to make you think that America was not founded on Christian principles, when in fact that it was. The man who is known as the father of our country, who was the commander-in-chief of the American forces during the war, the first order he gave after Congress declared a cessation of hostilities. In other words, the war is over. April 18, 1783 is when the declaration was made. The next day, George Washington gave his first order after the war is over. What was that order? that every brigade chaplain should offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the victory which he had given. And so his first order was that men ought to pray. And John Gano, there in New Windsor, New York, with George Washington in his presence, John Gano offered a prayer of thanksgiving to the almighty ruler of the world for the victory which God had given. And it's important to know those things and to see how God used our Baptist forefathers in a prominent way in the founding of this country and to plant churches. Here's a man, John Gano, that pastored the first Baptist church in New York City, the most prominent pastorate in America. And what did he do? After he'd been there 25 years, he resigned. He said, I believe that God would have me to go to Kentucky, to the wilderness, the frontier, where there are people who have no preachers and to plant churches there. That's what he did. That's why he's buried in Kentucky. And 
we placed those monuments there that people might remember. We could have had no idea placing those first two that it would continue to be a tradition and something that, uh, that we were able to accomplish, not without help. Because I pastor a small church and the church has given much, but we couldn't do the work alone. We prayed that God would put it on the hearts of people to help us in this work of placing monuments and other works, which we'll tell you about shortly. And God did. And he raised up churches to uh, send support. And so this affords me the opportunity to say, thank you, church, for the support that you have started to send to aid the work of the Baptist History Preservation Society. You have a part in your giving, and it's a real blessing to us. And we request that you'll have a part in the work by praying that God would continue it. Isaac McCoy, the great Baptist preacher and missionary to the American Indians, he sat on his deathbed after prosecuting a great work among that people. He sat on his deathbed, never let the missions to the Indians decline. That was his heart. That was his dying wish. Two years later, it's done. It's done. So we want to work to continue, not because of vanity's sake, right. but so that events can continue to be memorialized. And God can continue to receive glory through people remembering what happened. And by the way, this Bible that you're holding, it is in part a history book. Right. A history book. It tells you history. God wants us to remember and it's good to remember. The more we remember, the more we praise. The more we remember, the more faithful we can labor. The more we remember what happened in the past, the straighter we'll move forward in the future. And it is important. And there in Kentucky, just another example of monuments that have been placed. And you can go to uh, the Frankfurt Cemetery, you can see those monuments. You could also see the monument that's there for another famous Baptist, a man by the name of Daniel Boone. He is buried there because Daniel Boone was a Baptist. His brother, Squire Boone Jr., was a Baptist preacher, one of the earliest ones in Indiana. And so that's part of our heritage. It's not something that you're going to learn in public school. It's not something that you're going to see on the History Channel. Uh, it's not something that you're going to read about in your encyclopedias. So this is the method whereby your history is communicated to you. It's by having folks who have studied to let you know a little of what they have learned and to have you participate in making that history known. And again, I say thank you for being willing to do that. Monuments have been placed in 13 different states. Uh, at the moment, we hope to place more. There's one in Georgetown, South Carolina. And maybe it wouldn't be a very far drive or out of your way if you're headed down Charleston direction or towards the coast to go by there and see the monument to Edmund Botsford. Botsford was a prominent he was a prominent church planter in South Carolina and in Georgia. He planted many Baptist churches in Georgia. And usually he is given credit for planting the second oldest Baptist church in uh, this state. 
So we have tried to place a monument to call attention to that man. He planted the First Baptist Church there in Georgetown, South Carolina. Uh, you can visit their meeting house. There will be a roadside marker placed by the state of South Carolina, by the way, that designates the church by its original name. And Baptists, of course, always wanted people to know exactly who they were. And uh, you may not be familiar with the terms, but a pedo-baptist is one who applies water to infants or children who have not yet been able to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're Catholics and you're Protestants, and Baptists are not Protestant, we're Baptists. Catholics and the Protestants are pedo-baptists, and we are baptizers. We baptize believers after they have made their profession of faith. And of course, on the roadside marker there, just outside of the meeting house in Georgetown, South Carolina, uh, it says, original site of the anti-pedo-baptist church in Georgetown, South Carolina. Anti-pedo, that's what they called themselves. We are anti-pedo-baptist. We are against they wanted people to know what they were against as much as what they wanted them to know what they were for. We are against applying water to infants and children who cannot believe and telling them they're right with God. Right. And folks, we're against that as well because we're for Scripture. And water cannot regenerate. So uh, just an example of monuments that have been placed in different areas uh, the most recent that we were able to place just a couple of years ago, uh, Isaac Case there in Maine, uh, we placed a monument for that great Baptist preacher who uh, is credited with planting over 300 Baptist churches. And that's a lot of work. He lived to be over 90 years old and was still preaching and planting churches when the Lord called him home. Uh, a Mesa Brown in Hartford, New York, a monument placed there for that Baptist preacher who uh, planted numerous churches under his ministry. Young men were converted and called to preach and were sent to the mission field. And so uh, each story is unique, and we try to remember those stories by placing monuments. That's the first thing uh, that we tried to do to preserve our heritage. And of course, the idea is here in Joshua. It's to preserve the heritage by remembering, but it's to propagate the heritage by remembering the one who is able to do it. Amen. And that's the idea. If we just sat around and remembered all the time, we'd die. The idea is to remember so that we might be moved to do a work in our age and beyond. And so we want not only to preserve the heritage, but to propagate the heritage and to do so in a right way. And that's what these folks, I've got a complete list here if you want to see the monuments that have been erected around the country. And if you have any, any questions, we can talk about them. I'll tell you one more. And it is placed in Philadelphia. Not far from the Southampton Meeting House is the Pennypack Baptist Church in Philadelphia. It is the oldest Baptist church in Pennsylvania. It was started in 1688, and Elias Keach was the first pastor. Now, going back across the ocean to England, 
Benjamin Keach was a well-known Baptist pastor there. He was persecuted for his faith. He was put in the stocks. He suffered on a number of occasions. They treated him cruelly because it was against the law to be a Baptist there in England at that time, just as it was against the law in most places in colonial America to practice your faith as a Baptist. And people don't know that, but it's true. But Benjamin Keach, he continued to labor faithfully. He authored over 42 books, became one of the most well-known Baptists in history. One of those books was A Breach in God's Worship Repaired. Baptists had stopped singing in the services. The reason why? Well, to lift their voices in song meant that they would tip the authorities to their location. They would have been arrested. So they didn't sing. But Keach, having been persecuted and realizing that the scriptures teach that we ought to sing, Ephesians 5, Colossians chapter 3, just two of the prominent places in the New Testament, he said, we're going to sing a hymn. And the first day they sang a hymn, the church split right down the middle. Half of them said, we've not done that here before and we're not going to do it. And they left. And so for one month, one, one time a month, for a year, the church sang a hymn. Then he introduced a second. And so for the next five, five years, it was five years the first time, for the next five years they're singing two hymns a, a month. And then for the third five years, after 15 years they're now singing three hymns a month. And then it finally, until they could sing one every Lord's Day, it took 20 years to accomplish that. And now, could you imagine being without hymn singing in your church? A lot... Uh, Benjamin Keach is the one who made the way for that. Well, his son wasn't quite so spiritual. Elias Keach was a rebel. He was unconverted. He was running from God, decided he'd leave England and go to America. And there's a group of Baptists there in Philadelphia who have started gathering for worship. They don't have a pastor. But somehow they find out that Elias Keach, the son of the famous English Baptist preacher Benjamin Keach, has arrived in Philadelphia. They looked him up and said, we want you to be our pastor. Preach for us. We don't have a preacher. And he's thinking to himself, I'm no preacher, but I've got to have some way to support myself. And I have heard enough of my dad's messages. I think I can do this. And so he agreed to be their preacher. And the first message that he is preaching, he gets about halfway through. He's doing a pretty good job and he just stops and he starts to weep uncontrollably he is weeping. And the people say, preacher, are you okay? What's wrong? And when he was finally able to speak, he confessed that he was an imposter. Not only was he not a preacher, he said, I'm not a Christian. He had preached himself under conviction. That's what the word of God will do. And he became his own first convert. First person that got saved under his ministry was him. And then he submitted himself to believers' baptism, and they said, Well, now you're better qualified to be our preacher. Will you stay? And he did. And so he continued to pastor the church there and assist in planting other uh, churches in the surrounding areas. And uh, Monument stands there in front of the Pentapac Baptist Church there in Philadelphia, and it gives that account of what happened in many other ways that church was used. So the monuments have been a blessing. We try to coordinate their unveiling when we're on a Baptist history tour. And uh, the 
tours uh, take place in May. The next one will be May 4th. Uh, starts May 4th. We'll be in Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana on this tour, and it's for boys and men ages 13 and up. Now, I don't know how y'all want to handle that here, if any of you are interested. I know Dalton says he doesn't want any of his men coming on the trip because he <laughs> calls it, never mind. Anyway, um, but I'm sure your pastor would welcome the, uh, the company. Maybe I'm not speaking out of turn there, but anyway, uh, the tours is the way we make our heritage known also. And then we've started commissioning paintings. I remember seeing in the Virginia Baptist Historical Society some years ago a group of paintings that were all about Virginia Baptist history, and I thought that's a good idea. It's a good medium to uh, introduce uh, the heritage. And so we started commissioning paintings. Eight have been commissioned to this point, and it's various scenes of American Baptist history. The paintings themselves are hanging at independent Baptist Bible colleges around the country, and a few at some independent Baptist churches. Maybe we can display one here at some point if you'd like that. But uh, they also allow people to, to see the scene before them and read the historical sketch that accompanies the painting so that they can learn. Again, another way of preserving the heritage, just so uh, they can learn. And then we collect the books and writings of the Baptist. And I think it was Spurgeon who said, uh, sell your shirt and buy books. And I should have stopped with that advice <laughs> instead of mortgaging the house to buy books. But somebody had to get the work started, and we were able to do that. And we have collected many, many of the books and writings of the Baptist with the idea, the research that can be gleaned from them will help future generations. And so many things, rare, one-of-a-kind materials that have been uh, collected, we house those things and preserve them for the next generation. I asked you to pray that the work would continue. Recently, I haven't talked with your pastor, I maybe have mentioned this to two people, but we recently have cons consulted with attorneys. You know, all the horror stories that I've seen and I've heard over the years, man of God dies, had a personal friend this happened to, the Lord called him home and his vast library that he had collected, uh, his wife had disposed of it within two weeks and uh, not in a good way. So uh, we don't want the work that has been done to be neglected or to be deaccessioned. We want it to stay together. So we have consulted with attorneys about what's known as a perpetual trust. And we get that idea from the man who founded the First Baptist Church in America, John Clark, uh, that was founded in 1638, but before he died, he founded what is today the oldest trust in America. And that was for the purpose of directing his estate and what was left to help future generations. A board still has to meet every year to determine how they're gonna spend the money that that trust earns. And we wanna trust that will protect the collection and keep it together 
so that it can never be sold. It can never be parted. It can never be given away. It has to remain together and be used for the purpose for which it was started. And it would still, through the trust, be able to accomplish the projects, placing monuments, commissioning paintings, reprinting of books, collection of materials, a building of a museum down the road. So um, if you'd pray that God would give us wisdom and get us the right legal help to accomplish that matter, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Those are some of the things that the Lord has allowed the Baptist Sister Preservation to accomplish. That's what we do. And we would appreciate your prayers to the end that God would allow the events and the people of the past to be made known, but so that he can, most importantly, call attention to himself through the Baptist.